So we've been in a, a teaching series out of Matthew. Thank you for, for letting me do that with you, by the way. Uh, if you want to, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And uh, today's going to be fun. And I want to kind of, as we begin, I want to set the stage for you. I want to I talk just briefly about what's happening before today's text and what's happening after today's text. Because the context where, where, where teaching fits today is, is really important to see kind of what's around it. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 2 through 4, it says this. It says, as you know, Passover begins in two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. We're coming to the end of Matthew, and, and Jesus is making a turn. He's a, uh, and actually in Mark's gospel, everything is location. It's directional, and he's turning towards Jerusalem. He's turning towards, even for the first time, he begins to talk about his own crucifixion. And Jesus says, you know, Passover, it's, it's coming. And, and after that, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And also happening in this scene is Jesus is thinking about the end. In verse 3 and 4, it says, At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, and they were plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. So you see, like, dark plans are at, at work. So that's the front end of right, happens right before today's text. Immediately after today's text, in just a few verses, in Matthew 26, uh, beginning verse 14 through 16, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to, what's that word? Betray Jesus to you. They gave him 30 pieces of silver. And it says, from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so this is the context. This is what's happening immediately before our text and immediately after. Like, and, and what I want you to see is that it's coming. Matthew chapter 26, I mean, we're just a few chapters away. The end of the story is, is always the hardest, and Jesus' own thoughts are turning towards his death, towards his burial, and ultimately to, to his resurrection. It's turning to the end, and you get this sense that, that time is running out. Things are about to get incredibly dark in Matthew's story. And in the midst of darkness, there is one oasis of light. In the midst of like plotting and betrayal, there's one last shining moment, and that's today's text. It begins in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. See if you remember this. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And when he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price than the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And she has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. 
So let's spend a few minutes remembering and discussing. Uh, I, I need to introduce this story by, by just telling you, like, theologically, there, there are a lot of questions around this story. And, and partly it is because of the telling of this story in the four stories of Jesus. Um, each of the Gospels includes a, a story about a woman anointing Jesus, uh, but they, there's, there's some discrepancy. So I, I just want to introduce you to a couple of questions before we, we dive into it. Matthew and Mark tell almost exactly this, the same story. Um, there is a woman. There is, uh, they're in Simon, the previous leper's home. Uh, she anoints his head with costly oil. John, in his telling of Jesus' story, adds that the woman was actually Mary, uh, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. But in John's telling, he says, okay, it, it wasn't in Simon, the previous leper's house. In John's story, they're at Lazarus's house. And the woman anoints not his head, but his feet, and adds that the house was filled with fragrance. Luke is the most uh, difficult of all and going to add even more questions to this. So Luke tells a different story altogether. Uh, They're no longer at Simon the previous leper's house, but now they're at Simon the Pharisee's house. And it's a woman, but it doesn't say what her name is or who she is. But the woman in Luke's telling is a notorious sinner, which sometimes gives Mary a bad reputation. But we don't know that it's the same one. Maybe this is a different story of anointing. And in the same way, she anoints his feet instead of his head. Still, every version of Jesus' life story, the four versions we have, they all share some version of the story and, and there's a reason for that. And, and I think the reason is because it's poetry. It's Shakespeare. It's beautiful. I want, and I want you to see the beauty of this story. Um, this is a, a kind of an olfactory story. Uh, it revolves around a scent, a really, really specific scent. And we think uh, that it is nard. Now, you can say that word. It's, I know it's weird. My, my four-year-old thinks it's the greatest word ever. Nard. Spike nard, actually, is what it's called. And, and I ordered some from the most trusted source ever, Amazon. Um, and, and I got us some today. And... Uh, uh, because this isn't kind of olfactory story about scent and smell, I, I want to give you the chance to smell a pure nard. Are, some of you are essential oil people. You, you know what essential oils are? I don't. I'm a man. <laughs> but I know some of you ladies know what essential oils are. So uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Liliana, why don't you come up here? All right, I'm going to take this off. All right, Liliana. Imagine this is dynamite. All right, I want you to hold it very carefully. I took the lid off, and I want you to take it around. And anybody that wants to smell it, if you want to be really brave and biblical, you can take a few drops and put it on your head. I give you, I give Liliana's going to hold it very carefully, and you can take it around. And uh, we also, uh, there are these things called diffusers. I am going to try to start these. And we're going we're gonna to just fill this whole place 
with the scent, the smell of spikenard, because this, this story is, is all about this scent, this smell. All right, so how many of you know anything about spikenard? Yeah, nothing. Me either. I had to look it up. No, no clue uh, what it was like. Uh, and the, the real honest, the honest truth is I ordered this from Amazon and I was like, how do I really know if this is spikenard or not? Like, I don't know what spikenard smells like. It's, am I getting ripped off here? And uh, my, my first response is this can't be spikenard because it smells horrible. And, and I'll let you experience some for yourself. Uh, and if, if Liliana sp- spills some on you, yeah, you will, be, you will be healed. So interesting facts about spikenard that you did not know. Um, it is uh, from a plant that grows high in the Himalayas. Uh, that's part of the reason it's, uh, it's incredibly expensive. Uh, this plant only grows about uh, 10,000 feet in elevation and up. So imagine twice Denver and up. It grows high, high in, in the mountains. I think maybe even I have a picture of, of there are some pictures. This is what spikenard looks like in the Himalayas. Uh, it's, it's from the honeysuckle family. We know honeysuckle. That sounds familiar. Are, are you getting a whiff of it? Are you starting to smell? Is it starting to fill? Um, I don't know if it has healing properties or not. I don't know. I don't know any of that. But I know that they have to go high in the Himalayas to get it. And they, they pull this plant and, and they take the stems and crush them and then distill them down. And, and this is what you get. I see a couple of like, nope, I'm good. I'm good. We're going to talk about this even more. But I, I love that. Uh, I, I love to bring the kind of olfactory part of this. I, I just love stories that have a richness and a smell to it. Like it just seemed like such a perfect opportunity uh, because because smell is, is important to us, right? It's, it's one of our senses. Um, how many of you know the smell of the ocean even before you get there to see it? Yeah, right? Like you start to get close and you think, oh, I can smell it. And when you smell the ocean, you start to think about ocean memories that you have. Um, the mountains have a smell to me. The Colorado mountains have a smell to me. Uh, some of you that went on our mission trip to Ecuador, Ecuador has a smell. It, it does. I, I don't want to, is, is that prejudice towards a company I, or towards a country? I don't know. But like when you get off the plane in Ecuador, I know I'm in Ecuador. It's the same thing when we adopted our son from Ethiopia. Ethiopia has a smell. And we have a smell, right? It's, it's how we recognize each other. Uh, my dad was a, uh, I'm sorry, my, my grandfather was an Old Spice guy. You guys know Old Spice? Some of you are like, some of you are like, oh yeah. And so it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where it happens or how it happens. When I smell Old Spice, I immediately have like memories with my grandfather. My mom, I don't think she's going to be mad at me for sharing this. My mom's a Chanel number five girl. Chanel number five. That's it. From 
from when I was a little kid and asked, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? It's always Chanel number five. And, and so whenever I smell Chanel number five, like I think of her, like it's, it's tied to her. It's, and, and I don't know if it's the shampoo you use or the deodorant you use. Like it's, it's part of the way we, we recognize each other. Teenagers, we recognize you by your smell. Hint, take a shower. And maybe you know, like, like there, there's all of this writing and, and talk about how, how scent and smell is, like our sense of smell is tied closely to memory. Have you heard that? Like smells ring bells somehow. Like, like it triggers memory and emotion. And, and, and so our, when we smell, there's, there's almost a signature to it. And so, oh, what do I do with the lid? Oh, there it is. So I want you to, as we've got the diffusers going, I, I want you to know that this story has a smell. It has a scent. And, and I love the, there, there is a sentimentality to this story that's, that I think is really kind of unique to Matthew. Uh, Matthew's really kind of theological and plods along, and, and, and there, there's not a whole lot in Matthew that's, that's, that's purely emotion-driven, but this story really is. There's some things that are happening. Jesus himself says that as, as she pours, as this woman pours this on his head, like it, she's preparing him, preparing his body for burial. So already it's, it's causing us to think about things that are coming. But, but to anoint somebody's head with oil, sometimes even the eldership here at this church is as a part of what we think scripture says. We, have, we, have, we don't have spikenard. We have well, I guess we do now, uh, but we have olive oil. And if you want us to anoint your head with oil and pray for you and put hands on you, then that's, that's incredibly scriptural, biblical. Like we, we want to be available to do that. And this whole idea of, of just anointing with oil is, is important. In scripture, it says, um, maybe you know the the 23rd Psalm, you know, there's an anointing with oil in that. Even in Psalm 23, verse five, it says, um, I think maybe I have that scripture. Maybe I forgot it. It just says, this is how you would honor a guest. You, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. So when a guest would come into a house, it, it would, it, it's more than just a, a handshake, but it, it was a way of, of showing honor and incredible respect. It's also what you would do for a king Matthew's very focused on, on the kingship of, of Jesus, on the lordship of Jesus. And so uh, even when Jesus is born, there, there are magi, magicians who come from faraway lands looking for a king, and they bring gold, they bring gifts of essential oils, right? Like gold and essential oils. Because the, even the word, uh, the word Christ, Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. It's, it's who he is, the, it, Christ and Messiah are the same word. And, and do you know what they mean? They mean anointed one. So this woman comes and like in her actions, there, there, there are all of these things kind of, kind of happening at once. She's recognizing Jesus as king and preparing him for burial and, and honoring him. But, but there's this other part of this too that like, like you get the, the sense that, that Jesus is, 
is King, Messiah, Christ, anointed one, but, but also, I, I, I don't want you to miss this part. You get the sense that, that he is the great love of her life. Love unequal to any love she has received. I love that uh, she kind of gives of her treasure. The Bible speaks of this language. Jewish women, they, they, they loved perfume and they often carried little alabaster jars uh, or, or kind of vials uh, around their neck. It was, and, and so women always kind of had this scent with them, their, their perfume with them. And an alabaster jar is just kind of soft marble. Um, but when you dig deeper into the story and kind of look at the other, other instances, you realize that, um, that that jar that I passed around is uh, a third of an ounce. And it looks like she poured about 12 ounces of spikenard, a, a Coke can, on his head. Imagine, the scripture says, and the smell filled the house and the street and the block and the neighborhood, right? And it was this, it, it, it was this incredibly, you know, the, the disciples are, uh, I think mostly Judas, because he's the one that held the money. They're, they're kind of disgusted. Oh, what a waste. She would waste all of this. Like, the, uh, it even talks in scripture about the value of spikenard, the value of this perfume. Like, you got to go to the Himalayas to get it, right? You got to go this great distance. They think, think maybe it was worth a year's salary, that's, that's a lot. You know, 300 denarii. A denarii is like a day's wage. Um, when Jesus is setting up to feed the 5,000, he asks the disciples, hey, I want you to feed these people. The disciples say, man, it, it would take 200 denarii to feed these 5,000 people. And here, this 12-ounce vial is worth 300 denarii. And what you get, and, and what I want you to see is this, like, it, what I want you to see is love's extravagance. Because love isn't, love isn't sitting around counting the cost. Love risks, and risk, risk everything. And when it's given all it has to give, you know, love still has this sense of maybe it hasn't given enough. What she gives is this, she gives a gift she can't afford to, to, to give, a sacrificial gift. When, when have you ever given a year's salary to anything? She gave her treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I'm loving this gift too, um, you, you need to see, too, that this, this gift is totally out of place. Uh, not, that I, not that I know there's ever a good time to pour 12 ounces of spikenard on anyone. But it, it's, it's really, this is, this is really an uncouth action. Um, uh, and, 
And, and there's a part of that, that that we need to see. Like, like sometimes that even in church, like, like we're overly concerned with rightness and manners and politeness and, you know, we want to be prudent and all this kind of stuff. And, and what she does in this action is the opposite of all of that. That's part of the reason the disciples are so taken back. In the other stories, this woman that anoints Jesus, his, fe- his, his head and his feet, it says that, that she uh, takes her hair down. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean anything to us, but in that time, like taking your hair down, that was a honeymoon uh, night activity. It was reserved for only like the most intimate, like you would never see a woman's hair. It, it was, it was a, an expression of complete devotion. Even a Song of Songs, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to tell you about this, but to make this, this point that it was not uh, uh, prudish at all, um, Song of Songs talks about this, and there's even this verse. Um, I think I have that. Do I have that verse up there? Nope. Keep going. There it is. Like, I don't want to explain this verse. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to read this. This is actually in your Bible. It says, Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with what? All right, are you, are you starting to get some of the, like, the feel of what this is? Like, this is, this is boundless love. Unconstrained total, complete devotion. And the last thing I, I, I just, I want to talk about in, in what she's doing is, um, is opportunity. Man, I, I think, I, I don't want you to ever walk through life with, with a bunch of regrets, but, but I do have, there are times that I thought, man, there was an opportunity that I had and I didn't take it. I had an opportunity there and I missed it. Have you ever had that experience? Like, ah, it hits you later. Like there was such a good opportunity and, and I missed it. And, and what I want you to see in this, in this woman was that she had an opportunity and she took it. And I, I love her courage because she didn't care who was watching or what people would think of her. Do you, do you get that sense? I mean, she, she steps out of, where, how does she even there? She steps out of the shadows. And all she sees is, is Jesus and others criticize her. Man, what are you, why are you even doing this? She steps out, she, she sees Jesus and, and she says, this is my chance. And she does this beautiful thing. Sometimes it's translated, Jesus says, man, why do you criticize this woman for doing this lovely thing to me? And any time you step out, that's, you know, that's kind of why we don't step out with big, bold acts of emotion all the time, right? Because when we're super emotional, then that just draws criticism and, you know, everything in our life, we need to be calm and reserved and we need to think clearly, but that's not what's happening. Like, like this is just so raw and sincere and, and she can't, she can't contain herself and she has a chance to honor Jesus and to praise him and prepare him for burial and recognize him as her king. And, and I, I think we should talk about this story. And even it says, man, wherever the good news is preached, you should talk about this because she saw an opportunity and she took it. 
I think there's a great, there's a great message for us there in that of, man, when, when we see an opportunity for good, when we see an opportunity for what is lovely and pure and beautiful, man, we don't, we don't, that's not the time to go, well, what are people going to think? It's the time for us to act. And you as men and women of God, I think, I think we get to be, even with the teenagers we talked this morning about being the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. That's what it means to bring flavor and richness and life into this world. Finally, I just have a, have a few, few more thoughts about this. The truth is, um, we all pour ourselves into something. Uh, I know people who are incredibly devoted to coffee. No joke, like coffee is their thing, man. The, and, and where it comes from and the right gr- gr- grind ground, like, you know, and, and having the perfect water and the perfect temperature. And I mean, they're completely pour themselves into coffee. Of, um, uh, I, I know people feel the same way about food. Man, food is their thing. They're just, they're all about food. That's all they can think about and talk about. Or, or maybe it's travel. I know lots and lots and lots of people that pour themselves into work, into their work. Some pour themselves into friendships or family. Some pour themselves into the, the pursuit of fame or prestige or for people to just know them, think well of them. We all pour ourselves into something. But what I want you to see is she took what was precious to her and she poured it out on him. That fragrance, that scent was how she wanted to be known, how people knew her. Her family and friends and kids recognized her by that scent, that scent of of spikenard. That was who she was. And she had one chance and she poured herself out. Do you see that? She poured herself into Jesus Christ himself. I don't want you to miss this next part. She poured all of herself out and in just a few pages Jesus is going to do the same for her. Philippians says that on the cross, Christ emptied himself. Literally, it says he made himself nothing for us. God took what was most precious to him, his one and only son, and pours him out for us. So I know this is maybe not the most logical teaching and you're not going to walk away with, oh, here are the three points that he made, but I don't think that's what's happening in the text. I think this appeals to a different part of us. So I just want to ask the question, she poured herself out, and a few weeks at Easter we're going to talk about Jesus pouring himself out. How about you? With Easter right around the corner, will you, will you celebrate with a new hat or, or a dress or pastels? Or, or will you pour yourself out? If Jesus were here right now in this space, how would you respond? 
Would you try to calm yourself and be reserved and collected and respectable? Is there some part of you that you would try to hold back? Or would you, in just like the most complete, vulnerable way, make your 100% devotion to him known? In just a minute, we're going to enter into a time of communion. We've got the table set up around the room with the elements of communion. And, and uh, man, I, I don't ever want you to take these elements lazily or lackadaisically. These are elements of complete devotion, of God's unsurpassed devotion for you. And when you take them, maybe you should think about or spend a few minutes meditating on what are you really pouring yourself into? Because we are called, like I think this woman was called, to pour ourselves out to Jesus Christ, to hold nothing back, It's complete abandon to give ourselves completely and wholly to him. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this word and um, for the the fragrance of this story. We get to to know a little bit of who this woman was today just through the senses that you gave us. And so, Father God, I I pray that that you would challenge us and, and compel us to follow her example It's not our place to kind of sit back and reservedly contemplate the details, but to give ourselves completely to you. Father God, help us to seize every opportunity we have to devote ourselves to you and to your will and to your purpose and to your kingdom in this place. Let us be men and women of action who seize every opportunity and let the extravagance of our love, God, the world is never going to understand a love like this but let the extravagance of our love lead others to you and the extravagant sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, for us. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We, we honor him, we worship him, we lift him up, we pour ourselves out, empty ourselves for you. In your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen invite you to a time of communion together.